Well, Mayetta is too humble to tell you, but our classes meetings and our mission teams meetings that happened here this past week, and there was like 75 or more people coming through here this past week, they would not have happened without her leading the charge. And she did mention the volunteers, which were many and amazing, but she really led that, and we are grateful for that and grateful for you, Mayetta. She is also too humble to tell you that she could still use some help as our volunteer coordinator with the Winter Shelter Network, which is sheltering again here this Tuesday at Connections. So really, uh, if you've been with us along this journey, you know we are um, wanting to expand our ministries and ever more be reaching out to our communities. One of the ways that we are doing that is partnering with Douglas County and sheltering here on site. And so we would like as many people to come and experience, get a taste of this as possible on this Tuesday, March 10th, and again on Tuesday, March 28th, because next season, October 2020, we are going to be going full in. So um, come and get a taste of it, get some experience with it, and we'll be better prepared for the full launch and uh, rolling out of that later this year. Um, so, and thank you everybody for having your phones update um, automatically overnight and getting you up and springing ahead. And woo, extra coffee this morning. How about it? We all feeling good though? We all awake? We're ready? Good. Good stuff. All right. All right. Hype in the crowd. All right. The hype man. Flavor Flav in the house here. Okay. Okay, friends. So, quiz. Well, you don't have to answer it. I'll give you the answer. But in your head, see if you can answer this. What are God's first words to humanity? What are God's first words? Not his first words. His first words to humanity. Genesis 1, 28. Be fruitful. First words to humanity, be fruitful and multiply. We know the command comes. There's some that think that might come as like one sort of whole, but uh, a lot of, uh, there's a good reason to believe that's kind of a two-part command and commissioning there, be fruitful and multiply. All of us, whether young or old, single or married at any stage, we are called to be fruitful. And we are going to be talking about being fruitful for the next five weeks leading up to our celebration of Easter and the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which sets us up for his ascension, where he is seated now at the right hand of God our Father in heaven, and we eagerly await his promised return. This is going to be our journey for the next five weeks. But let's set the stage here as we move into our bare fruit and being fruitful for the next several weeks. Whenever I was uh, studying in seminary and preparing for ministry, uh, one of the things we got to do was learn a lot about church history. And one of the kind of the creeds or confessions that was written about 500 years ago, I always liked the way that it started. It started with this, a question that gets right to the point. It asked, what is the chief end or the chief purpose of humanity? You got to love how it just gets right to kind of the individual. Uh, we know like our lives do tend to revolve around ourselves as much as we try and move them towards revolving around Christ. But it starts with that. So what is your purpose? What is your chief end? And it gives the answer to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy God, to enjoy the glory that God receives through our lives, through all of creation, to take joy in God's greater glory more than ours. That's a beautiful way for us to understand our mission, our purpose, our calling in the center of our lives. And that really does get to the heart of the bare fruit and this idea of bearing fruit in and as the body of Christ. With that in mind now, 
We're going to read our passage that is going to set the stage for the next several weeks. This is going to be found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. You can follow along on screen, you can follow along on your phone, or in your old school Bible with the pages there if you've got it. I'm going to read that for you, and as you know, if you've been here with us with Connections since the start, you are going to be participating in this reading. So be ready. Again, it'll be on screen, or you can look to your own device or book right there in front of you. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts, say that with me, he cuts. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Say he prunes. He prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain. Say remain. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And here's where we're all going to read this together. So read along with me. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. What is our purpose? To glorify God and our joy evermore becomes God receiving all of the glory. This is the aim and the direction of our calling in Jesus Christ. This is the thrust of where we're going the next five weeks. I am called to bear fruit and bring glory to God. I am called to bear fruit and bring glory to God. And we're going to be unpacking this now and through the weeks to come. And if you are paying attention, you have already been given a very handy way of setting this to memory and carrying this with you throughout this Easter season. CPR, not talking about cardiopulmonary resuscitation. I am talking about cutting pruning and remaining. Oh man, I should just do a mic drop and walk away after that. Like, I mean, amen, hallelujah. Don't walk away. I'm not done yet, but we're going to remember that, right? This is about a season of cutting, of pruning, and remaining or abiding in Christ always. But we are going to be doing some spiritual CPR in this regard to be raised to spiritual life that will bring and bear fruit to Jesus Christ for his glory. Let me set the stage a little bit further so you know exactly where this is going. When we come upon our celebration of Easter, we will gather and we will remember that Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But it was going to be more than a celebration of the Passover. It was going to be the fulfillment to which the Passover had always been pointing. The Passover was never the end in itself, but was merely the beginning, setting the stage for the true lamb, the perfect lamb, the lamb without sin, without blemish, the lamb of God, 
the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, would become the fulfillment of the Passover for us. Jesus sends some disciples to prepare, to prepare the upper room, if you remember how that story goes, and they gather there. The disciples, of course, they still think, it really looks like they still think that this might go down as a military mission, that they could overthrow the Roman Empire, that they could usurp then the temple and gain authority over the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the other religious leaders, that they could come in with might and take over, and that would be the kingdom of God. But Jesus had not been hiding that the kingdom of God is something much deeper and yet much bigger, so much more than simply a military mission. This was a mission to redeem hearts and minds and lives in the entirety of all of God's creation. They're still figuring that out, and Jesus begins to show them how deeply this must go by entering that upper room and before anything else, taking the role of a servant. Remember that whenever they gather there, that Jesus takes off that outer robe, he wraps it around his waist, he takes the basin, he takes the towel, and he begins to wash the, di the disciples' feet to their astonishment, even to their dismay, showing what true servant leadership looks like. He washes their feet, he makes them clean, he commends us to do the same, something that we should always be considering as the body of Christ, to actually embody and live out these commands that he's given to us. And then they move through the Passover meal. We won't unpack all of that. We'll do a bit more of that as we get closer to our celebration of Easter. But remember, during the course of the meal and during the course of that night, that he tells them, this is my body, now broken for you. And he lifts that bread and he breaks it, symbolizing that his body was going to be broken or it is nailed on the cross. He lifts up that cup. This cup is now the new covenant sealed as my blood, which is going to be shed for you in the forgiveness of your sins as his blood would be spilled out in his beating, in his crucifixion, in his death on that cross. And he commends to us to remember this sacrifice that he made on our behalf when we gather together as the body of Christ. As that time is nearing to an end, when we look to John's gospel and the way that he tells the story, um, something interesting happens. Chapter 14, Jesus goes into an extended discourse on the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to resist the urge to go into that. That's not the chapter we're focusing on. But something interesting happens there. At the end of verse 14... He sort of just has this statement, and he, he says, now let us go. He says, now let us go. And then we have an interesting dialogue that happens, actually, for the next three chapters. And when we pick up at verse 18, we read that they have gone. It's a little, it's, it's a little amb ambiguous. We don't know if like this discourse is happening while they're walking or precedes it or happens right after. But it says, they got up and they went through the Kidron Valley. They're going to walk from some point in the city. And they're going to go down through a, an actual valley, out of the city, down a slope through the Kidron Valley, and then up another slope where they would end up in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would pray. But it says very explicitly there in chapter 18, they went through the Kidron Valley, and still to this day, we know that the Kidron Valley is an orchard. It's a vine grove, really, where the grapes were grown for the pressing of the wine, for the celebration, probably, of that very celebration of the Passover that Jesus had just celebrated. 
And as we know that the Passover happens in the spring, we would have seen the evidence all over as Jesus uh, walked through that valley with his disciples of the work being done in the vineyard. So you can sort of picture it in your mind's eye, walking down in the cool of the dark of the night there, but the new growth beginning to spring up in that wine orchard, that grape orchard. Probably the evidence of the vine workers already cutting and pruning and clipping maybe already starting to see the first fruits of the season coming into blossom there. And that sets the stage then for Jesus's final I am teaching. Jesus throughout John's gospel, John has been highlighting this in particular, has been claiming these I am statements. And this is the fulfillment, this is the final one that he will give to his disciples. And every time Jesus made that I am statement, it wasn't just simply, you know, a rhetorical device. It was, it was claiming something about himself, that Jesus truly is one with the Father, and the Father with him, that he is the great I am. Blasphemous, actually, in the ears of devout Jews, but the fulfillment of the promise to which his life has been pointing all along. Jesus is the great I am. And what does he tell his disciples? I am the true vine. The imagery of the vine had been being used again throughout the history of the people of God. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener and you are the branches. And what are branches to do according to this passage? Amen. People are with me. You're still hanging in there. Jesus is the true vine. His father is the gardener, we are the branches, and there is something that all branches are called to do. We are to bear fruit. Friends, bearing fruit is what we are called to do. Bearing fruit is what we are made to do. Bearing fruit is what we can do when we remain in Jesus Christ. A fruitful Christian life is not the aberration. It's not the exception. It's not for the spiritual elite and the spiritual giants. It is for all of us who in Jesus Christ become spiritually elite, <laughs> not because of our righteousness, but because of him. We become spiritual giants, not because of anything we accomplish on our own, but because of what he has accomplished before us. All of us have this opportunity now to remain in Jesus Christ and begin bearing fruits that bring glory to God, our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Let's get into it, friends. That's just the beginning. All right. Now I'm going to formally start the... Me no, no, we'll, we'll cut it short. Cutting, pruning, and remaining. This is how it is going to happen. Whenever I moved into my first house down in North Carolina, finished school, went down, took my first charge, took my first church, moved into this beautiful house, moved in in the fall, and had an amazing neighbor, the kind of neighbor everybody should have. Henry Van Story was his name. A widower in his 80s, an incredible man of God, and incredibly loving, patient, and kind, and basically just taught me what it was like to own a home. If I had a question, I just went across the yard, jumped the fence, and asked Henry, and he would help me out. One of the things I asked him is I said, Henry, come over here to the front of my yard. He comes out with me, and I said, these boxwoods do not look like boxes. They would have been left untouched for, I'm going to guess, years. They were scraggy. They were all grown up. They were, looked like they were dying underneath, but they were green on top. They didn't look anything like a box. I said, Henry, I want my boxwoods to look like boxes. That's why they're called boxwoods. What should I do? He said, George, 
as soon as the spring comes, as soon as you see the grass starting to turn again, things starting to grow, I want you to cut those down to the ground. I said, Henry, you're crazy. He said, no, I'm not, George. You asked for my advice. Listen to me. Cut them down to the ground. They were so grown up, I did not take clipping shears or pruning whatever. I got my chainsaw out, and I just walked along the bottom. Zip, 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 zip. I zipped them all off, threw them by the side of the road, and I just thought to myself, I really did. I thought to myself, well, guess I'll be going to the Home Depot or Lowe's Garden Center because I don't know how anything could survive that. But Henry was right. A couple weeks later, I began to see new growth start to shoot up. Over the course of the summer, and this is North Carolina where, you know, like you spit and it turns into a pond. I mean, everything grows there. I, I mean, things just started growing up. Before, by the time it got to the fall, I was already into the business of the pruning, but I'm getting ahead of myself. It was, in fact, that cutting out that set the stage for the new growth. The thing about those plants that gets me, this is what always got me about those plants. They looked so good on the outside. But if you know a boxwood, it is just that very edge, that very outer layer that's green. Everything else in there, everything else in, everything else in there was dead. It was dead and needed cleared out. Jesus tells us that God, our Father, the heavenly gardener, is willing to do the hard work, the painful work sometimes, of cutting out the dead wood from our lives. Has anybody been in a season where it feels like things have been being cut out, ripped away, chopped down with a chainsaw, and thrown out to the curb in your life? Anybody in that season? Everybody. All right. Thank you for the vulnerability. We go through those seasons. If you're in that season, if you're coming into that season, if you've gone through that season, it is no picnic. It is not pleasurable. It is no joy. I, I mean, it, it is rough. Some of you are in, are going through, or will be going through a cutting season. Some of us have to go through some cutting seasons in our relationships. I was recently telling the story to some young people because I went through this experience. Um, I felt like, you know, you know, we have these expectations set out for our senior year of high school. And mine just completely fell to the ground where it really felt like every relationship that I had had, and these were actually even a number of them church relationships, every relationship that I had seemed to be getting cut out at the very time when I wanted everything to be like the movies that I had seen about a magical senior year. But God had to do some cutting out in some of the key relationships in my life so that more and more I would put my trust not in others, but my trust in him alone. Some of us, maybe we are going through a cutting season in our job, maybe because our job got cut. <laughs> or just our expectations for what life would look like has been cut. And they're not pleasant times. They're not painful experiences. But God can be setting the stage for greater growth. Some of us, maybe in our health, we feel like things are getting cut. We've just taken it for granted that we would have it that we would wake up, that we would have breath, that we would have energy, that we would have vitality, and yet things seem to be getting cut away, even in our very bodies, the health that we have taken for granted for so many years. Our cutting seasons 
our cutting seasons. There's nothing pleasurable about them, but they are so necessary for God's growth to happen. People sometimes have, many of us, and many of us can vacillate between these, even in the seasons in our life. Sometimes we think that God sort of is this angry, vengeful God who takes pleasure in the cutting, or that God is kind of this, you know, this pushover that just lets anything flow. This passage gives us the unique insight that everything that God is doing, He is doing as a gardener, and He is doing it ultimately for growth. And he is willing to take the chainsaw to our lives to cut out the things that would bring death so that new growth, new life may happen through him. Here is the hope that we have. If you are in a cutting season, growth is just around the corner. Amen, friends? If you are in a cutting season, God is setting you up for new growth in your future. I don't know when that future is, and I don't know what it looks like, but we have faith that God, our gardener, is only and ever cutting out so that he can set the stage for new growth to happen in our lives. If you feel that you are in a cutting season, there's one thing, one thing that we must do, one thing that I implore you to do. It's that big fancy word we talk about often in the church, but very rarely in the world. Repent. When we feel like we're entering or in these cutting seasons, the proper thing to do is to go back to the practice of repentance, turning our life back to God. That isn't a one-and-done experience for the Christian. We are ever turning our lives back towards God. Each and every day, in the big way, we would say we turn our lives from facing ourselves, or our own devices, our own pleasures, our own plans, to turning towards God. But in each and every way, in every day, we are always tweaking and making those course corrections to say, God, am I following you in my work? If not, let me turn the way I practice my job towards you. Am I following you in my marriage? Let me turn my marriage more and more towards you? Am I following you in my parenting? Let me turn my parenting more and more towards you. We repent. We always keep turning back to God when we feel him cutting these things from our life, because whenever we are freed from the dead wood, the turns can be made so much faster, so much easier, so much more quickly. Repent and turn in those seasons of cutting in your lives. If you are in a season of cutting, pray. And let us pray for you, because we know they're not easy. That's not the only thing that the gardener does, right? What's the second thing that happens? He does some cutting, then he does some pruning. I don't know if this story is for real or not. I have no memory of it, but I'm going to tell the story because my parents tell me that this actually happened. We went to church one Sunday, and then we decided we were going to go out to eat after, and we went to this place called Eaton Park. Anybody know Eaton Park from the East Coast? They're still around. Nobody, nobody knows Eaton Park. Yeah, Eaton Park. It should have always been Park and Eat. Never knew it was Eaton Park. But we went to the Eaton Park, and we went in, and there was a buffet there. And so my dad says, go and check out the buffet, see if it's worth, you know, getting, sitting here and paying and, and getting this meal. So I, as a little tyke, apparently I kind of run through the restaurant, and I go and I look at the buffet, and again, I have no memory of this, but this is what my family says happened, sort of one of those family stories that lives on in infamy. From across the restaurant, apparently I call out, Dad, they have your favorite, and everything just sort of went quiet as this kid yells out, stewed prunes, so 
So apparently, I thought that my dad's favorite thing in the world was stewed prunes. Now that I'm an older man, I must admit, I appreciate a good prune every once in a while when the time calls for it. That is not the point. We are talking here about what the Heavenly Father does when seasons of pruning come into our lives. Again, I am not much of the gardener type. I actually didn't mind the taking a chainsaw and cutting things down because it was kind of a one-and-done job, and that's the way I like things. But pruning takes patience and care and attention and time. Pruning is the real work of the gardener, right? It is the never-ending work of the gardener. Um, I went to a website and I just sort of Googled what is all involved in pruning, particularly uh, grape vines. And this is like a preacher's, you know, sort of manuscript right here. So I'm going to just read it out for you. The reason that somebody prunes grapes is, number one, to stimulate growth. The whole purpose of pruning is always to stimulate the growth. The growth is always happening, but pruning will stimulate more growth. And that is what the gardener is doing. He wants to stimulate more growth in your life. Second, to shape the plant. Oh, that one preaches right there. Jesus is ever wanting us to be more and more conformed to his perfect image and likeness. And God, our Father, the gardener, is trying to shape our lives. With each cut of the pruning shears, may our lives ever be more and more shaped in conformity to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Third, to protect. Pruning is actually a preventative protection against mildew and rot in particular. And again, a preacher can go off on that one. To protect us from the mildew and the rot, perhaps, of sin that has crept into our lives, the loving Father will take those shears and clip everything uh, that could bring rot or mildew or death into the branch. Fourth, to produce. Ultimately, the stimulating of growth, the shaping, and the protecting is to produce more, more grapes, and then finally, it says to make the best wine. The whole point is to make the best wine. The whole point of the work of pruning in our lives is for God to produce the best, the sweetest, the richest, the deepest, the most beautifully complex fruit in each and every one of our lives. That is what God the gardener is doing when he is pruning your life. I had to study up a bit because I'm not much of a gardener. Do you know that it takes, that it takes eight to ten years for an apple tree to start to produce fruit? Can you imagine the patience. Oh, and there's a whole other thing of grafting. Don't even get me off on the grafting thing here now. The other thing of grafting of the apple trees, but the patience that it would take for nearly a decade sometimes before the apple farmer would finally get those fruits from the tree he has been so tenderly or she has been so tenderly caring for. Palisade peaches here in Colorado are very interesting themselves. For three years, there is no growth on the palisade peach tree but after that the palisade peach tree farmer will prune as much as 90 percent off of the growth for a course of 10 years ever producing more and more of those wonderful amazing and let's hear it for the Cal colorado palisade peaches they are amazing 
When do they come in? Oh, that's like not for months now. We can't get too excited just yet. But oh, the tender care. See, you see, here's the thing. Pruning takes time because fruit takes time. Fruit takes time. Let's jump to the last one, maybe. Let's well, let me say this, and then we'll come back to the taking the time. There's an interesting uh, device here in the language uh, that allows for us to have some um, pondering and musing about what all is go goes on in these, this pruning work of the gardener. There's another way that you might translate that. Uh, what I read is that it could also mean sort of simply the lifting. Pruning is not always just cutting things off. But the pruning process actually, particularly for a grapevine, involves a lot of lifting. So track with me here for just a moment. The grapevine sends out little tendrils, and the little tendrils are naturally always going to want to grab onto something. But if they don't immediately grab onto something, gravity will take its course, and it will start to head towards the soil. Immediately, we should be making the connection in our lives that when we don't take hold of Christ and we don't grab onto the things of God, we have a tendency then to let the natural force of gravity and life force us downward to seek new soil. To seek new soil. A lot of us at different times in our life are seeking new soil because we don't think we have all that we stand in need of in Jesus Christ. Jesus, I want to believe you what you say about how to conduct my relationships, but maybe I could dip down into this soil a little bit over here because I want some immediate gratification. I know what you say about money, God, but I think I want to dip down into the soil over here. Jesus, I know what you say about a life of worship, but I want to dip down into the soil over here. We always have this tendency, if we don't cling on to Jesus Christ, if we don't take hold of him, our lives will take the natural course and seek other soils, but the gardener comes and gently lifts those branches, and they'll tie them gently around a trellis or to other parts of the vine, so they can always grow up, ever reaching towards the sun. Just let that image live in your mind's eye for a little bit, as the pruning process also involves that lifting of the branches to ever reach toward the sun. Well, we have the cutting we have the pruning. What is left? The remain. That was a pitiful remaining there. We have the cutting. We have the pruning. And finally, we have the remaining. the remaining. This is the part we really need to lean into. Did you catch that? Eight times in eight verses, we are called, compelled, convicted to remain in the vine remain in the vine remain in the vine remain i mean how could it be any more clearly put for us remain in jesus christ this is how you will bear fruit by remaining in me and i in you and here's what we know about remaining when we remain we remain forever there's no end to this <laughs> we remain ever and always because the process of bringing fruit out of our lives takes time. It takes time. It takes time, and it takes remaining. Think about the fruits of the Spirit, to which we will be directed in some weeks to come. The fruits of the Spirit that we are all called to nurture and grow in our lives. The fruits of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, of self-control. Love takes time. Can you rush love? You cannot rush love. Love takes time. Love makes itself known. 
through the remaining. In good times and bad times, in coronavirus sickness <laughs> and in health, in plenty and in want. Love makes itself known in the remaining, and the remaining takes time. Joy takes time. Happiness is fleeting, and it's a blast when you have it, but joy takes time, and it happens in the remaining. Peace takes time, because troubles come, and they come fast often, but a peace that passes all understanding takes time in the remaining in Jesus Christ. Patience, by definition, the one I am working on so hard this coming year of my life, patience, by definition, requires time and remaining. These fruits grow through remaining in Him. Fruit is the whole point of this. The cutting, the pruning, the remaining. All of this is happening because God, our Father, the heavenly gardener, is seeking that each and every one of us could live the most abundantly fruitful life possible through Him. We are called to live fruitful lives. What does this fruitful life look like? I wish I had time to preach on it this morning, but you're going to have to come back in the weeks ahead as we begin to unpack and delve deeper and what a fruitful life starts to really look like as individuals and as the body of Christ. But let me just give you a taste. Oh yeah, that was intentional. Let me just give you a taste of what the fruitful life looks like. A fruitful life. A fruitful life can happen when a mom collects her thoughts and cools her emotions and goes and cares for that crying child for the 10th, 12th, 20th time during the night. That is the evidence of fruit. Fruit looks like an employee doing their best when no one else is looking maybe showing up early, maybe show, staying late, always putting forth their best effort because they know that brings glory and honor to God. Fruit looks like a boss who doesn't have it in just for themselves, but actually leverages their time, their energy, their efforts, everything at their disposal so that they might become a blessing to all who serve under him or her. Fruit looks like the guy who shows up on a Saturday and walks around the church parking lot taking care of things when nobody else notices or might even care. Fruit looks like the woman who coordinates the volunteers that allow us to open up as a shelter. Fruit looks like somebody walking across the street and saying to the school, can we just give you lunch? We can? Great. We'll be there next week. Fruit looks like anything and everything that we do in the name of Jesus Christ that can bring glory to him. And we are going to live into the fruitful life of remaining in him, allowing him to ever be pruning our lives of all that might misshape, misdirect, or draw away from his growth, and even enduring the seasons of cutting as painful as they might be, because that we know, because we know that it is all for his fruit, for his glory. Amen, friends? Amen. Over the next several weeks, over the next several weeks, 
we are going to be diving into these, and we are going to be actually going into a practice of going to the Lord's table. So as I set that up now, let me just give you a, kind of a, a few final instructions. In a moment, I'm going to call the band up, and then they're going to lead us in a time of worship. But as we've introduced this theme of fruitfulness and bearing fruit over this Easter season, we're going to give you an option. And I just have to kind of collect my thoughts here for just a second to make sure this is abundantly clear. We are just going to worship God, as we always do, as a response to the Word of God and give us a time to reflect on and even offer ourselves afresh to Him. I have a little table set up in the back, and at the table is the bread and the cup. And if you wish, you may come and take communion with me at any point you want during this final worship set. The table here at Connections is open to everyone who knows and loves and calls on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and who wants to partake in this communion table. If for whatever reason you don't want to or feel you can't, that is fine. You can just stay where you're at and continue to worship God in song. If you do come to the table, we are going to do it by intinction. And intinction simply means that you get the opportunity to take the body of Christ and you're going to dip it into the cup, just to dip the corner of that bread into the cup, and then take and eat. And that will symbolically be the eating and the drinking and the remembering of Christ's sacrifice for us, his body broken and his blood shed for us. Does that make sense? I'm doubting anybody would be like, no, explain it again. So <laughs> hopefully that is abundantly clear. And if you want then, during our final time of worship, you may join me at the table of remembrance of our Lord in the back. I would invite our team to come forward as they begin to prepare us in worship. And as I do, let me send you out then, well, we'll send you out with the benediction, but we'll send you forth into worship with these words. Know this, every time we see a fruitful Christian life, and hopefully all of us have in our lives people who we admire, people who we seek to emulate, people who are for us just spiritual role models and mentors in the faith. I know for me, one of my spiritual mentors is a man named John Vandersteen, a man I got to know when we were planting a church in Canada. I said it then, and I still say it today, and it's not just because John and I share the same birthday. I always said, when I grow up, I just want to be like John. There's just something about his life, beside the fact that he is a biker who still literally like bikes around the world into his 70s. He was just, to me, the most caring, affirming, uplifting, admirable, honorable, I could go on with the superlatives, man that I had in my life during that season. But as I got to know him, I got to know this about him. All that fruit that I saw in his life, it didn't just happen. It didn't just magically spring up. John spent years as a missionary in Africa and he lost a child during that season. John spent years doing mission work in, in, in the far reaches of Canada, enduring winters like we can't even imagine after that, always quietly serving. John came and served with me in that church day in and day in, week in and week out. John had gone through seasons where it felt like God was cutting everything out of his life. He had gone through seasons where God did serious work of pruning in his life, but John had learned the secret of remaining 
forever and always in Christ, his Savior and Lord. That work of fruit that was growing in his life, it wasn't magic. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't easy. But it was something that is available to all of us. It was a life fully surrendered to the cutting and the pruning and the remaining that goes with a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I would commend that life to all of us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, for the man or for the woman right now going through a season of cutting, give them the hope that new growth is coming. New growth is coming through the cutting of the dead wood, the dead branches, the dead things of our lives. For the man or for the woman going through a season of pruning, may you ever and always be pruning our lives and lifting us up so that we may grow more and more towards you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and our Savior. And for all of us, through the cutting and through the pruning, may we remain day in and day out, ever and always, our lives in you, abiding, remaining in Christ, our Savior and Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'll be at the table to anybody who wants to join me there. May we all continue in worship of our God.